0: Hey, good morning, you guys. I hope you're doing well. Uh, hope uh, things are going good for you. Thank you for uh, tuning in and uh, joining us for the Word of God. We're talking about All In, and uh, we've been in this uh, book, First John, for a while because we're just marching through it really slowly, and John is uh, prompting us and challenging us and, and, and pushing us to uh, explore more and more of not only who God is, but but the truths of God and how they apply to us as we live on this planet. Uh, to really live like Jesus in a world that isn't. And, and, and this is a difficult thing. And one of the things that John keeps pointing out is this idea of love. Love. He ties love into everything that he's saying, that in the midst of whatever's going on, good or bad in the world, we're to love God's way. And today... Uh, we're gonna get a, we're going to get into a side of God's love or a part of God's love that we don't always talk about it's not the most comfortable part of uh, you know discovering God's grace and his mercy and his love but we're going to dive into this and I, I want to start by reading uh, in 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 to 21 if you have your Bibles uh, go there I, I'm not going to put the text on the screen uh, just because it's it's a lot of text. And I'm just going to read it right out of the Bible. And if you would join me in this and uh, read with me, kind of watch as we march through this. Okay, here we go. John, First John chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how we... We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he is in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. Love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The man who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Powerful, long, tricky passage about God and his love and what he expects out of us. We're going to dig into that right now. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word. To your truth, God, that, that you would speak to each and every one of us about this great, great love of yours. And that we would see it today, maybe in a way that we've never thought about it. But that we would learn to appreciate your love in every flavor that it comes to us. God, we love you. We pray that you'll move in our hearts today as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is love. Look what John says. First thing he says in chapter 4, verse 7 is, Dear friends, let us love one another. That's how he's going to kind of get into this next topic of love which he's talked about before he's tied things into love but he's going to say let us love one another we're going to dig into love that's going to be the main focus of our message today God's love this very important uh, topic to John that that the readers in Ephesus the, the churches all around Ephesus that they understand what this love is all about and we're going to dig into it from an angle that we typically don't talk about love. Okay, we're going to we're going to kind of approach it from another side. And I hope it will challenge us and push us a little bit today. We want to go into this Like we want to go into God's word every time with eyes wide open. Eyes wide open, right? Like 360 degree view of what's going on, of what God is about and his love is about. Not through the binoculars that we typically look with this narrow view of God's love. This uh, feel good side of God's love that everybody wants to like hang on to and grab on to and, and talk about and sing about. Like this mushy love, but but both the sunny side of God's love and what we would consider, uh, to steal a, a phrase from a popular record, uh, the dark side of the moon, right? We want to look at the dark, the other side of God's love. Um, in the know, we want to be in the know of the dangers that lurk, that, that John has been talking about, right, throughout his letter, right, the Antichrists. The false teachers, the evil spirits, demonic agendas. like As God challenges us in this world to love, we're surrounded by all this this negative stuff and this dark stuff, knowing that there is an evil side on the earth that is against God and that is against us, but John still calls us, and God still calls us to love. Also, we want to approach this with our eyes wide open in the know of God and his word, not just know what's out in the world and what we're up against, but, but also a better understanding of his word and his truth and his spirit and God's purpose. God's purpose. And that's an interesting word, purpose, because, because something reminded me this week about this, this idea of purpose. Everyone is looking to find their purpose. Right, you hear people talk about this. We even preach about this. You hear this from the pulpit. Find your purpose. Find your purpose and and get busy doing your purpose. We hear the world, the world say, "Do you like? Do you? You just do you. You do you. You do you. You do you, whatever that means. Do you?" Well, I'm here to tell you that, and this is really the solid. Based truth as Christians as followers of Jesus a true follower of Christ it's not about my purpose it really isn't about my purpose at all <clears throat> I I crucified me to Jesus I, I gave my life to Christ I, I died to me and, and see what we're doing a lot of times is we're steering people wrong and in the wrong direction, when we say, find your purpose, there, there's some kind of, kind of goodness about that. But there's a little bit of mis- uh, deception in that as well. Our identity is now wrapped up completely in Jesus and his mission and his will. We, we are all about his purpose, right? right? We died to self it's no longer I who live. Christ now lives in me. So I am, I should be all wrapped up in his will and his purpose on the earth. I need to get wrapped up in his purpose, not have him get wrapped up in my purpose. And there's a difference. And so we're wanting, we're wanting to live for Jesus. We, we, we need to make a shift in our thinking. There has to be, this is one of those shift areas in our life that we have to shift from a worldly way of looking at things to a godly way of looking at things. From Christ's view. And this is one of those things when it comes to purpose. Because everybody's trying to find their purpose. And what we ought to be doing is surrendering completely to God to live for His purpose, to live for His will, his truth, his version of love and grace, not just the feel-good side that, that I like, right? Uh, that I like to grab onto, that God loves me, and that he comforts me, and that his grace is for me, and he forgives me, and all these things that we love to hang on to. And so the best thing, the best thing that we can do, uh, you and I, as believers in in all of this, is just throw ourselves at his feet. Like just throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. That is the best thing that we can do. Just surrender in worship to him. My allegiance is his. I'm here to serve him. I'm here to carry out his mission and his purpose. God, use me however you want. And we we throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And if we'll do that, we we won't be alone in that. We will not be alone in that. Mary, in the Bible, Mary sat at his feet. In the scriptures, a sinful woman at at the home of Simon anointed Jesus' feet. A man that Jesus cast demons from came back and sat at his feet. Samaritan guy remember one of the ten who had leprosy and nine went off but the one came back came and fell on his face at the feet of Jesus. Peter came and fell down at Jesus's feet. The magi showed up and they saw the child and they worshiped him. They bowed down and worshiped him. A woman caught in the act of adultery came and sat kneeled at his feet Sixteen times we find people at the feet of Jesus, and I think the encouragement for us is we should join them right there at Jesus' feet. That's a good place to be, at the feet of Jesus. Now, Charles Spurgeon, who is a, a theologian, points out that at the feet of Jesus is not just a place But it is a posture. It's not just a place that we should go to the feet of Jesus. It is a posture that we should go with, right? A posture that says, your will over my will. A posture that says, your purposes over my purposes. Uh, Where we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Where we acknowledge that God alone, that he alone is God. He is the creator, he is Lord, he is savior, he is master and he is king. He is everything. And I, I am simply the work of his hands created from the dust of the earth. Honored beyond belief to have a relationship to the one whose ways are perfect and whose love has no bounds even if that means far more than I will ever understand or know. And so my hope, my hope in this message, uh, this mini message within this series is really two things. One, that we will see a fuller view of God's love. That we'll see his love for what it truly is, fuller. Even if that means... uh, You know, being a little uncomfortable, getting a little uncomfortable, being a little antsy, maybe hearing something that maybe we haven't heard before, or or looking at something from an angle that we we haven't looked at before. want to look at it like this. Most of what we look at when we walk through life is from like the, the side of the mountain, right? We go hiking, we're on the side of the mountain, we see this beautiful view. But it's only half the view. It's only half of them. And what what I what I hope we will do today is we will make an attempt to climb Mount Everest we will go to the very peak of Mount Everest the highest point in the world almost six miles above sea level now here in Burlington we are we are less than a mile we're less than a half a mile uh, above sea level because the ocean's not far from here three hours from here is the ocean we're only like, We're only like .12 of a mile above sea level. Mount Everest is almost six miles above sea level. And so what, what I'm hoping we'll do is we will dare to climb to the top of this mountain. We will dare to go where maybe we're not comfortable going, where the view is incredibly bigger, And and what will happen is the joy. We will experience a joy and a new appreciation for seeing things that we will never see if we only go halfway up. And so I want to go all the way in this, okay? All the way to the top. And the, the, the second thing, my hope in this message is that we'll see a fuller view of God, number one, but two, that we will have a better sense a better sense in our lives of when to love with grace in this world and when to stand firm in his love and on the truth. This is what we're getting at today. is being able to, to love in God's fullness of love, but that doesn't mean be a doormat. It doesn't mean the gushy, ushy, mushy side of God alone. It, it has to do with both sides of God's love. The the, the part we love and are comfortable with and the part that is difficult and hard for us personally and for us to to walk in as well. That we will be discerning about these things and decisive about these things because we live in a world and we live in a culture that needs to know the full picture of God's love and everything that that means. What we need is a healthy view of God and his love, because a healthy fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of of an expanded view of life and everything. And like sand at the beach, it could get a little uncomfortable, but we are going to press on anyway. Just like just like our, our, our kids, you know, our children, uh, we have to teach them. They need to understand that there is a difference between love and discipline, right? They need to see both in their life. They need to understand what love is, what we, we hug them, but they also need to get spanked when they do wrong because discipline is love too. It's love. Correction and love. They need to our kids. They need to, and we need to understand rewards and punishments. We need to understand blessing and cursing. These are biblical truth found in the scripture, and every human being needs to know these things. The full scope of God and mankind, like all of that God has for us, not just part of it. And so, the test of God's love, or the test of God's presence in our life is love. That's what John is saying. The test of God's presence in us is love, not partial love, but his love to the full. And here's the thing. His love is far bigger than any of us think. Bigger than we know, bigger than we want to believe, and it will push you and me further than we want to go. God's love will push us out of our comfort zone. So let's make it our ambition. Let's make it our ambition to explore God's great love. Let's be explorers of His love and not afraid of what we might find as we explore. Because His love is huge. Oh, it's huge. Paul said, to uh, the Ephesians, the same group of people that John is writing to in Ephesus, the churches all around Ephesus, Paul said to them years before, he said I pray, I pray that you being rooted and established in what? In love. Rooted, grounded and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide And how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The love of God moves in directions that we can't even begin to understand. And let me say, it's not all roses and chocolate kisses like most of us want to believe. It's not all just gushy grace. That's not all there is to God's love. Under this umbrella of God's love, right, we get and we understand the love of God. We understand God's love on a grace level. Right? We get that. Where Jesus died for our sins, that we are all sinners, and that God accepts us back into his kingdom. And we love to sing songs about his love, don't we? We do. We go to church. We go worship with, with the church. And we love to sing songs. Your love is so good. Reckless love. Oh, how he loves me. Your love never fails. How great is the Father's love. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Right? We, we love to sing these songs because they're so nice. And they make us feel so good. And they are true. They're true. I'm not saying they're not true. They are true. We don't like to think about the other side of God's character. That part that disperses discipline and judgment and punishment right how many of us know that at times we need a great big hug and at other times we need what we need is a big fat kick in the pants right we know we need both right we know that we need both but one is far more fun The other, we don't even want to think about. Like, we don't want to think about the punishment that dad is going to give us when he gets home because we've been bad to mom. Like, we go hide under our pillows in the bed and he comes up with a belt or a wooden spoon, right? We don't want to think about that. We don't like that. It's no fun. We would like to just avoid that altogether and block it out of our minds. We don't like to sing about the pain-inflicting side of God. Right? I mean, the songs would be uh, a little bit depressing, wouldn't they? Jesus is coming to judge the world, and many people are going to hell. Glory to the Lord and his mighty rod. Punishment awaits you sinners. Like, we, 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 we just want to be very fun to sing stuff like that. So we don't. We don't sing about that. Why would we sing about that? It's not comfortable. And so we don't talk about it at all. And so we don't even think about it all as if it's not even there. And yet it is. The discipline, the judgment, and the punishment of God is tough. It's tough. But like it or not, it also falls into this category of God's love. God's love, discipline, judgment, and punishment. Could it also be God's love? We don't like to think so. We just don't want to deal with it. And so let me muddy the waters even more because we do spend 99% of our time talking about the good side of God's love, right? The gushy, the fun, the joyful, the feel-good side. And since John, John in his letter, since John likes to shake things up, and this letter is designed to stir us up and to challenge the readers and to make us think So in the spirit of John, let's go where no man or woman would go on their own. And let's dare to go to the mountain peak and see all that God has in this category of love and probe into this love from an angle that we don't typically look at. Let me set it up like this, even though we have set it up For the last 10-15 minutes. I want to set it up like this. How many of you know, think about this, how many of you guys know that there is a side of God that you do not want to mess with? Okay, think about that. We We all know this, right? There is a side of God that we know He's capable of that we do not want to mess with. See, like in our hearts we know that. And yet we still do things to push those limits, right? Kind of like our parents, they tell us don't do things and we, we get as close to that line as we can get. It's kind of our human nature, just get to the edge of that do and don't spot, right? Push the limits as far as we can. We know, we know there is a side of God that we do not, want to mess with and and we try not to think about that side of god because most christians just want to kind of stay right here where it's safe in his grace in his glory and the good stuff but here's the problem it's that's not healthy It's not healthy to only view God in that way. And it's not fair to the truth of God, right? The the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's not fair to the whole picture of who God is and his character to just climb halfway up the hill and just see this view. Under God's big umbrella of love, there are things that God does not love at all. Under this umbrella of love, there is grace and mercy, but there are also things that God does not love at all. Things that you do, things that I do, the limits that we push, when we know we shouldn't mess with that side of God, when we know that there might be, as the world would say, hell to pay, We know we are pushing limits or doing things that we shouldn't do with our life. But we go ahead and we do them anyway, even though we know there are, there's a side of God that we don't want to mess with. In Proverbs chapter 6, the scripture says there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. And think about those two words. Six things the Lord hates, seven, a seventh, that is an abomination to him. And just in case we're wondering about the wording, the word hate is the word sine. And it means, it's in Hebrew, and it means not just prefer, like in the New Testament, in the Greek, Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and father and put me first, you can't be my disciple. In that text, The word hate means prefer. Jesus is saying, unless you put me ahead of your mother and your father, I have to come first. I have got to be the priority in your life. If you don't make me the priority and other things are the priority, then you can't be my disciple. That's what Jesus says. Unless you put me first, you can't be my disciple. That's not what it means in in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, this word is way more severe. It means to despise. It means kind of what we think when we think the word hate, right? To uh, despicable behavior. It means like the opposite of God's qualities. To hate, to despise, disgust. We would say we can't stand that or it's gross. Hate, disgusting, hate. And, 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 and unless we, th- we think that the word abomination means something else, it doesn't either. It means kind of what we think the word is "tuba." It means repulsive or detestable, disgusting. It means idolatry. Like it means to, to, to go against God in such a way that you are, you are putting disgusting things ahead of God. He says six things that the Lord hates, seven, a seventh that is, that is an abomination to him. And the seven things are a proud look, a lying tongue, right? Wicked heart, feet that run into evil, false witness, and a person who spreads discord among, you know, God's people. These are the things that the Lord hates. And we should hate these things as well. In Deuteronomy 16, 22, the scripture says, you shall not set up for yourself a sacred pillar, some kind of idol totem pole which the Lord your God hates don't set up some pillar and worship it don't set up some idol or some tower and worship it the Lord hates that they did that a lot in the Old Testament Isaiah said in chapter 1 bring your worthless offerings no longer incense is an abomination to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure your iniquity and solemn assembly. I hate, God says in Isaiah, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. These are the things that God asked his people to do, these festivals and feasts but they were doing them selfishly and, and greedily and not in line with what God had called them to do. It's kind of like the danger we run into in our worship services. Like, like we come here to worship God, but are we really worshiping God? What is it we're doing? Is this just feel-good stuff we're doing? Is this just more about us? Like what people think of us when we come together as the church? Are, are, we, are we really worshiping Jesus? Or are we worshiping other things that, that kind of help us feel uh, close to Jesus? We're worshiping stuff. Things that are Christian-like, but not Jesus. We've set up false pillars and towers and poles, and we're, we're worshiping things that we shouldn't worship. We're worshiping worship. We, we could run into this as well. These are, these are things, and there are things that God simply hates. He despises them, and, and unfortunately for us, they're things that are connected to us as people, right? The behaviors of you and me, our behaviors as people on the planet. It's why Paul said in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. See, the love of Jesus, a love that brought him to earth to battle evil and die for us, his love is full of grace. It is so full of grace. It is that that side of God that we look at and we, we realize that he died for us, that he came to rescue us, and he loves us. It is so full of grace, but it is also a love that caused him to overturn the tables and chase the people out of the temple. Uh, what, what some would call a holy anger, right? A, a love that brought out his wrath on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and a love that will bring judgment to the world and punishment, his his wrath. is being revealed from heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts. As a son. That's good, right? If God is disciplining us, if his wrath is being poured out on us, if he's correcting or or rebuking us, it's out of his love that he does this. Job said, Blessed is the one whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up right there. I want to jump to the end here, and I want to just conclude with this. Um, Job, Job, speaking of Job, Job was a man who suffered greatly. And um, everything was taken from Job, right? Everything. Everything was taken from Job to test his faith. And uh, He lost his homes. He lost his kids. He lost his cattle. He lost everything and the devil was bartering with God Remember the story that the devil came and said, let me test him. I'll, I can get him to curse you I bet if I take job only worships you because of everything you've given him That's a test for all of us, right? Do we worship God because we've got a good and we've got money and we've got things Is that why we worship God? And if all those things were ripped away from us, burned down and snatched away, and we were left with nothing, would we still worship God? See, that's where Job is. And his wife his wife sees him in this misery, and, and she says to him, Job, just, just put an end to this, Job. Look what she said. She says, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Just put an end to it all. Just curse God and die. Job, take your life. And Job replies, and I love this, he says, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? I love that passage. I love that passage because it's, it's exactly what I'm trying to say in this message. That the umbrella of God's love is much bigger than we know and understand. Under that umbrella, we appreciate both the goodness of God and his grace and his mercy and his love. But we also need to come to love and appreciate the discipline and the wrath of God. Because it's for our good that he rebukes us. It's for our good. These lead us, both the goodness of God and the the wrath of God or the discipline of God. They lead us in our walk with Jesus on this planet. They they help us in, in more ways than we'll ever know. And in this complete love that teaches us to have a healthy fear. It teaches us to have a healthy respect and a healthy appreciation. A healthy one. For the Lord our God when we when we are willing to embrace not just the mushy loving teddy bear side of God but the side of God that that really helps us be better people the side of God that disciplines us the side of God that is a little wrathful and, and and there's punishment involved because because it's in correction that we get better, that we are purged and cleansed. And and, and it leads us then to a repentance that brings us back to God when we realize we've done something we shouldn't have done or we're doing something in a way that we shouldn't do. And that brings us back to God in that correction. And we're going to dig more into this next week. There's there's so many good verses I want to get to um, that will help us really grab on to understand a little bit more, a little clearer, of both sides of God's amazing love. And I hope, I hope that that we're already beginning to appreciate the fact that it isn't all, you know, roses and chocolate. But, but there's a side of God that I need in my life, that I need to make me a better man, a better person. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. As difficult as it is to even share, and, and hard, help me to be clear. I, I pray that your spirit would work and would help us to understand what it is your word says to us about this. Even though I... I'm struggling to to, to convey this truth. Father, you take it and you make it clear in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless you.